and welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we watch and discuss a year of film history every week, starting from 1895, the dawn of cinema. This week is 1908. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Ellie. I'm a film projectionist, and joining me as always is... I am Glenn Covell, the other host, and I'm, I'm a maker of films. That's what they're so called, many. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of of whom we're going to be discussing many uh, of your contemporaries coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am over 100 years old. Whoa. Do you drink teen blood? How do you, how do, you do it? That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're a film history podcast. Um, uh, these films are all copyright free and ancient as uh, as ancient as as Glenn's withered bones um so so that means that they're before copyright and you can uh watch them online uh and if you're watching the video version right now uh stick around and you can watch them as we talk about them though these movies are getting a little longer so it's hard to play the entire movie um while we talk yeah. about it but you can always hit the po- playlist and watch them yourself um, how's it going, Glenn? What's got, what's up? Uh, little, little s- stressful this week. Yeah. You know. Y- yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, what can you do but just, like, worry and look at the news all the time? I mean, I guess everything's gonna be fine now, but the, it looked... Everything's probably going to be fine now. <laughs> I hope. Uh, but it... Yeah, it was it was kind of wild earlier. Um, yeah, I guess I haven't really done anything except soak in all of that garbage either. And mm. by that garbage, for histor- history's sake, we're talking about the attempted coup on the United States government. <laughs> <laughs> Just that. That's fun. We're reading about all of this like political turmoil that's happening around the turn of the century, you know? Uh, strike strikers and Pinkertons killing each other and kings getting assassinated by anarchists and mm-hmm. um, uh, might be wrapping back around again. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's all. That's all old news, and we don't talk about old news here, except when we talk about old news of the year. 1908. That's right. <laughs> the news of the year, 1908. Eunice Shackleton set sail on the Nimrad expedition to Antarctica. Japanese immigrants are up to 1% of the population of California, and amidst segregation and anti-Japanese sentiment, Japan and the U.S. restrict immigration with the Gentlemen's Agreement of 1907. A new prime minister in the U.K., H.H. Asquith takes over from Sir Henry Campbell Bannerman. The Young Turk Revolution takes place in the Ottoman Empire, a revolt to restore the previous constitution and usher in multi-party politics. The first woman flies in an aeroplane. Therese Pelletier is the passenger of French aviator Leon Delagrange. The Ford Model T is now on sale. Get your own automobile for $850. Rumors around that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid have been killed by soldiers in Bolivia, but their deaths are unconfirmed and graves unmarked. The final emperor of China takes the throne at age two. Ancient man! Swiss historian Otto Hauser finds a 40,000-year-old Neanderthal boy skeleton. 
The Pathé brothers invent the motion picture newsreel, which is what this is. Elise Key gets a fellow named Blaché. They move to America and found a new film studio, Solax. Thank you, Glenn. The end. The end of the news forever. <laughs> if um, only. <laughs> if only things just uh, were, were nice. If just we things stopped happening. We don't need yeah. more things to happen. No more things. Enough things. Uh, Enough speaking things. Of- no more things. <laughs> uh, speaking of things, a movie's a thing, and we watched some this year. That is correct. Uh, uh, rather than, you know, starting with Melies, because we want to we wanna mix it up a little bit. Keep it spicy. Uh, we got some, we got some potpourri, keeping it spicy. Can you, I wonder if there's, potpourri's only for smelling, right? Or do you eat? Is it? I don't know. It's, do you eat? It's, it's such a generalized term now, I have no idea. Hmm. Anyway, uh, which of these, uh, are you interested in talking about? Um... I think one that sticks out as um, kind of a landmark is uh, Phantasmagori by Emil Cole, which is kind of considered the first proper animated film. Yeah, I would also. um, I mean, animated film, uh, or at least like hand-drawn animated film, because we've seen stop motion before. Yeah, But also in the sense that it's not like it's not like animation that's like part of another film. It's like fully, this is just animation. Like we're not, there it was a little show, bit it of, it does show the hands drawing the at hands. the beginning. So it's, there's um, a little it bit has of that. that framing device that, yeah. that they've used before. But, but e- either way, I mean, this is, this is huge. This is like really, it's really cool looking. It's, um, uh, basically, a bunch of uh, a bunch of transformations and and reality bending stuff that is possible in animation in hand drawn animation that um, it's, it's even I would so f- goes so far as to say it is a proto Hersfeldian film that is a mouthful. Okay, like Maybe. in terms of just being like stick stick figure kind of guys that and, it, and that and it being kind of like surreal and and like traveling True. through. Multiple yeah. scenes very fluidly. Uh, yeah, I was pretty blown away by how surreal it is. Yeah. Um, uh, already f- freed from the restrictions of having a camera to the, film things. The shackles of cameras. Yeah. Um, they they bend reality to their wills to their will. Um, yeah, and so it's a, it's like two two minutes long. There were three animated movies that he made this year. Um, Phantasmagory was the first one and mm-hmm. the most famous, uh, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, like, I think over 900 drawings on pieces of paper and Dang. they, they used the negatives, um, and flipped it, uh, the flip, the colors so that it is white on black instead of black on white. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that's just like a lot of like really funky, cool animation, uh, pretty confidently done i would say yeah um there was i mentioned this in one of the previous episodes of like a a contemporary reference to like oversized women sats which were a big thing yes in the 1900s there was another one in phantasmagory which i found very amusing 
it opens with a kind of down in front kind of <laughs> kind of uh, uh, person with a big tall taquita hat. Yeah. Uh, at a, at a theater, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so that's super cool. I feel like it deserves a lot of it deserves a lot of praise, but I don't know how much I can really say about it. You know? It's yeah, really, I mean, it's really neat though. All of the individual scenes are very short and don't really. There's not a lot of like narrative happening. It's mostly just sort of like all these scenes kind of blending and morphing into an. Yeah. End. It's like to show off the animation more than it is to try to tell a story necessarily but super imaginative and neat yeah um there's uh the earliest surviving narrative russian film yes stenka rosin i think yeah that sounds right stink stinker rosin stink stinker rosin yeah uh stinky raisin Which is named after a historical figure named Stenka Razin. Yeah. Um, a, um, a sort of... Uh, I think he was a, a real person, but a, a sort of a folk hero type. Mm-hmm. Um, who was a, a Cossack leader. And it, it's based on a, a sort of... A number of likely apocryphal stories about him. Um, this is a pretty wild movie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I loved it because it, it's it's dry. It's it's a little messy. It's their first attempt. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, just the story it tells is so bonkers. Um, it's 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 basically it's about this this uh, I guess sort of outlaw hero Stankerazin who marries a princess and then all of the sort of all of his bros, all of his sort of, uh, I don't know, his merry men, right? All feel left out because he's with this princess, so they all kind of talk shit about him. <laughs> and so Stanka finds out, and so he throws the princess in a river. <laughs> the end. Yeah. Yep, that was about it. <laughs> Which sounds like something that I just made up to be like, what's the earliest Russian film? It's about. A guy lives who lives in the woods and throws a woman in the river, but that's <laughs> that was that yeah that was what they decided to go with. Hey, I mean you know well I, I th- this is another case of uh, people using folk heroes and known stories to do the heavy lifting mm-hmm. on uh, on storytelling. Yeah, um, and so I'm sure if we grew up hearing about Stinky Raisin and all of his uh, all of his uh, I, don't, I guess it's not defenestration. I just wanted to say defenestration. Ooh. Uh, 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 there, are, he did. He just tossed her off the boat, not through a window out the boat. Oh, is the yeah. distinction. Yeah. Um, all of his defenestration exploits. Uh, if we grew up in Russia, then maybe uh, true, most most folk tales are pretty wild and oftentimes awful when you think about them too much. So. Yeah, and it's olden times. They were all yeah. like racist and sexist and stuff. <laughs> oh, we'll we'll get to more of that this episode. <laughs> um, there was something that amused me was there. There's another version of the story, not really the one that this film is based on, where the reason why he throws the princess in the river is to appease a water god named Ivan Gorinovich. 
which is just I don't know. Oh wow! That's <laughs> not what I would think to name the water god, but <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just like a guy's name. It's kind of it? just a name, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's that. Uh, one that I liked more. I don't know if it's really as um important, I guess, in the the annals of history, but the assassination of the Duke of Guise, guys, one of those. Yeah, maybe Guise. Um, which I thought was a pretty, uh, it's, it was a solid, solid film. Yeah, um, it's, uh, I mean, it holds the, it holds the historical distinction of being maybe the second, uh, but the, the, the first, the earliest surviving film that had a score that was specifically written for that, for that mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Um, so it's, a it's French, uh, as, as it sounds, um, stagey tableau framing. Uh, it feels like you're watching an opera. And if you listen to the score, it sounds like you're watching an opera. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very operatic music. Um, it's just like, a, it's, it's about an assassination. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> yeah. standard, you know, assassination story. <laughs> You know, when you've seen one assassination movie, yeah, you've I seen them all. Yeah, really. Um, what did you like about this one? I I, th- I thought it 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 is very stagey, but I thought it um, there was some kind of good use of film language in it. Um, hmm. There is bef- before he gets uh, stabbed to death, the Duke of Guise is sort of walking through uh, a castle palace, and. Um, you know, we're, we're we're cutting to different rooms as he's walking through them. Yeah, and um, I don't know. It was just there was a good sense of continuity between shots hmm. in this. I thought mm-hmm. um, there was also just one bit of staging I really enjoyed, where directly after having killed the duke, the king who ordered his assassination kind of pops pops his head out through a curtain <laughs> to ask, "Is he dead yet?" And like yeah. the whole room of assassins all point at the same time to the body, just like. There he is. We got him. <laughs> um, check it out. Yeah, and then the duke uh, or the the king goes and looks at the body and almost faints. Yeah. Um, from uh, from seeing it, which I guess is kind of kind of funny. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say one one more thing about um, uh, the that score thing with um, mm. uh, the assassination of the Duke de Guise um, is that the the first. The first film to come out with a with a with a customized score, um, I mean, it, it was it was an American film. Uh, although I will say that the fact that it came out with a custom score is maybe less uh, true to what you would think of as a film score than this, because mm. uh, it was the Fairy Log and Radio Plays, uh, which was this multimedia just stage um, uh, stage show. That had live actors and um, magic lantern slides, and it was an adaptation of just a number of L. Frank Baum books, uh, uh, including Wizard of Oz. Um, so it was the first Wizard of Oz on film, um, and that did have um, that that did have uh, uh, custom music. Uh, but it like once again, it was like a kind of multimedia show, like Adventurous Automobile Trip would have been. But apparently. Right even more elaborate. Uh, it was so expensive that it never made its money back, even with booked out <laughs> theaters. Oh no. Uh, and it's, and it's lost 
to uh, to time. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it. It feels like that's a that's a good um development. And I like that they're they're starting to think of films kind of more as self-contained, fully like realized pieces. I guess is yeah. what that signifies to me. Although I don't know how common it is, even in late era silent film, to have uh, designated specific scores, and mm. how how common it was for people to just improvise even into the twenties. Yeah. Um. But yeah. The Runaway Horse. Did you watch yeah, the Runaway Horse? I did. Yeah. Uh, um. I don't know. I that one mostly just sticks out to me because of like the stunt work of it okay yeah if if you couldn't tell by the title it's about a horse that runs away it's another it's another um something something chaotic happens and people chase it movie yeah um which is really one of my favorite subgenres that we've we've uncovered um this time it's a horse and it's just a real horse plowing through scenery and it's yeah. like I don't know, I was kind of a little surprised, because a lot, a lot of these, like, you know, chase movies, when destruction happens, it's kind of like, there'll be a a jump cut or a substitution splice to kind of, like, you know, someone knocks into a thing, and then there's a, right. a pretty obvious cut, and then it's like, some dummies follow, you know, it's it's... Yeah, this horse was crashing into a bunch of real big, expensive yeah, stuff. Yeah, this horse was straight up tearing <laughs> through tense and like knocking over stuff and throwing people to the side it's it's crazy uh the other thing that was sort of notable about this movie is um it's not like this is not done anywhere else but uh it's still fairly uncommon is that it had this pretty like this fairly fast-paced cross-cutting in the beginning because the guy leaves the horse uh, the the set the reason why the horse is going wild is because it ate too many oats and it made it turbocharged. Um, <laughs> Everyone and... knows you can't feed a horse too many oats, otherwise it'll 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 get nitrous in its blood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the guys like parked his horse outside of the outside of the, the building, uh, left it on idle, and like you see, it's it's cutting back and forth between the horse just eating more and more oats. Uh, and the guy blissfully unaware up, up in the, up in the, the sitting room. And so it's kind of like this colliding, um, you're like, oh, something's going to happen. Something's happening with this horse. Cause it cuts back like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, even cross cutting in other movies, it's usually, uh, like a pretty big scene and then another big scene and then back to that big scene. Whereas, this one was like the same two scenes with only maybe like 10 or 15 seconds each time, something mm-hmm. like that. So it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then one other uh, uh, kind of wild small movie that we saw this year that wasn't, uh, it was a big name director, but he hasn't been doing much other than experimentation lately, is George Albert Smith's A Visit to the Seaside. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy and wonderful. This is, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you're seeing that this is a funky-looking color film uh, 
This is the first kinema color film, which was invented by George Albert Smith, uh, a, a color a color process. And the whole thing's eight minutes, but I think only a minute or so is online. Um, it's just a bunch of shots of people at the beach, basically. That uh, I mean, I guess you would call it. Um, oh my God, what were those movies that don't exist anymore? Realities. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this was this process that he invented. This movie is not special in and of itself, besides being the first Kinemacolor movie. But the process itself is interesting. Kinemacolor is the earliest color, uh, uh, I don't know, system, like automated color system to be mass-produced and available to to audiences, rather than being like a hand-drawn stencil color or something like that. So this is filming natural color, but it doesn't look very natural because it's two, it's two, it's it's a two color system rather than three colors, which is what you really need. Uh, so it's it's a red and green. The way that it was shot uh, was at double speed in the camera, so thirty two frames per second instead of sixteen, and it had a two color wheel in front of the camera that was uh, exposing every alternate frame to red or green gels and then it needed a new projection setup uh to uh to to be shown and so that limited its ability to become popular even though this was mm-hmm. made for a number of movies up until like 1914 or 15 uh dozens of them but it was an expensive setup that really only worked for these color films and they still look kind of janky I mean, it, it looks janky by like modern standards for sure, but it looks very cool. It's a yeah, like it's a it does definitely simulate some amount of like real color, but it 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 gives it a sort of like vividness and um, yeah, yeah. It just it it's it's a little more surreal and kind of dreamlike, which I think is super cool. Yeah. It kind of gets skin tones. It's, like, kind of close on the skin tones. Um, and I'm surprised. Like, usually it's red, green, and blue. But the blue of the ocean looks pretty good mm. in it as well. Uh, even without a blue filter. So it's just made out of the combination of the red and green. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other kind of technical thing about this is that most of the film that was being shot on at this time was orthochromatic. Meaning that it... Uh, could only it, it it didn't it didn't capture all light spectrum all parts of the light spectrum accurately onto that black and white film. It captured enough that it looked right, uh, but there were certain in orthochromatic films. Sometimes you'll get like a yellow, and it'll look like a light yellow, and it'll look super dark because that film is not um, not equipped to transfer that yellow's saturation properly into black and white. Uh, and other other movies would co-op or, or would fix this with makeup and specialized color on, on the set. Um, but uh, you could treat the orthochromatic film with this solution that ended up more than doubling the price of the film uh, that would make it panchromatic, and then it would be accurately sensitive to all colors in the human uh, visible light spectrum. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um, I I briefly learned about in in film school 
uh, when we were shooting in black and white film, I've forgotten most of the important parts, but how like different I'm, I think it, it, what we were working on, which is Kodak Tri-X 16 millimeter, um, must have, I think is, uh, what's the first one? Not panchromatic. Orthochromatic? Orthochromatic. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can use different color filters to block out or sort of um, give different, you know, affect the, the film in different ways. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I've, I, I heard or I read that most black and white film these days is panchromatic. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think there's, there is still some that doesn't read colors quite right. It's kind of yeah. weird to think about like black and white film not being able to see colors properly, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of the specific. I can't remember the specific things of sort of like if if you're if you're having this problem or if like you need this sort of mm-hmm. thing, you can you can put a, a colored filter on the black and white film and it'll, it'll fix it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's this classic like black and white you can kind of cheat certain things like how they use chocolate syrup yeah for for blood i mean or and yeah you can use like uh opposing colors on the color wheel to kind of darken stuff or like cancel things out and oh weird, weird stuff like that yeah hmm. um but if i keep talking about it i'm just going to reveal my ignorance further so <laughs> um one other film that unfortunately we couldn't watch is uh, because it's lost is the first adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, which yeah. is you know <laughs> uh personal for for you and I as yeah. it, as it was the first f- live action film I ever directed that you were yes. that you co-starred that in. I starred in. Starred in. I starred in. You starred in. I mean you <laughs> you weren't the title character but you were right. the the lead. I would say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was Mr. Utterson, the uh, main, the, the the not widely known main character of Dr. <laughs> Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> of the original novella, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. Um, this is sometimes but We cra- hear about Glenn as a filmmaker, and there we go. There's that's his a, origin. That's a film I made long, long ago. Um. This is sometimes credited as the first American horror film. The nineteen oh eight one, not the one that we made. Um <laughs> But either way that kinda sounds like it might be bullshit. Um hmm. I don't know, like first Yeah American that's... horror film. I feel like we've seen an American horror film already. Yeah, that's I don't ridiculous. remember what it is. <laughs> I mean we saw Haunted House by J. Stuart Blackton. Uh, I don't know. Is T-Series Blacked in English or American? I don't remember. Oh, I think it was made in America. Oh. Um, we saw Uncle Josh get scared. There you a, go. There you, you know. go. <laughs> that was right. in like 1897 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, according to the Wikipedia plot synopsis, it uh, might take a few kind of cues from History of a Crime with... Uh, Jackal and or Hyde kind of having visions of himself being executed. Ah. Um, it was also supposedly based more on a stage play than the novella itself. 
a lot of play adaptations See, with all this like fairy stuff. There probably wasn't as even well. a lot of Mr. Utterson in this thing. So why, once again, why Mr. Utterson forgotten by yeah. history. <laughs> this film is Mr. Utterson erasure. Um. Well, speaking of uh, people who adapt things from stage shows, ah. let's uh, let's talk about our main man Melies. Our main man Melies, which I have, I have a thing to say about his films this year. This yep. might be the first bad year for Melies movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know about, like, actively bad, but not good. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, the ones he made, like, right towards the end of the year were were a little bit better, but I, I think all the good ones must have got burned, because a lot of these are kind well, of the, stinkers for him. They're kind of, they're boring, right? Yes. And the thing is that a lot of the ones that remain, it's debatable whether Melies even directed them himself. Yeah. Which I think contributes um, to their uh, boringness as well. Yeah. I think Melies is maybe getting a little more hands-off at his company. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on here, but he's handling he's handing over all of these directorial duties to this guy named Manuel. The mysterious Manuel. <laughs> the, the, known the, only the... by a single name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Manuel does not have the playfulness of Melies. He doesn't have the... Uh, the ambition of Melies or the kind of um, trickster uh, uh, sentiment of of him either. Yeah, he doesn't uh, have. He to... just makes he just makes plain movies. <laughs> yeah, which is fine, but it's when when you see that Star Films logo, you're expecting magic up on the screen, and you're getting. And what we've eh. what we've got is um, kind of. I mean. Th- yeah, what we've got is kind of long shots of people standing in meadows having conversations that it's a little difficult to understand what they're about. Right, because there's no intertitles. Um, Not always. There's there's a few sprinkled throughout these, but yeah, I will say if we if we talk about the these uh, handful that were probably directed by Manuel, but possibly directed by Meliers. Mm. Um, uh, if we talk about those first, is that um, they they seem to have... I mean, the one the one thing that I can say about them is that they seem to have uh, good, like, class messaging in them. That, the, that a lot of them are... Uh, I mean, particularly in the, the good shepherdess and the evil princess. Um... One of the few Which, decent ones this year. Yeah. Um, there's a poor woman who uh, is... She treats she treats uh, some beggars, right? A beggar kind of just walks into her house. Um, <laughs> and, and he's like, hey, can I have some money or whatever? And she's like, you know what? Yeah, you can. And... Um, and uh, there's an evil princess who treats everyone around her like garbage, and they both get their their reverse comeuppance. You know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> there's like a fairy that comes uh, out of nowhere and uh, decides to punish the evil princess. That that um, happens a lot in these fairy films. Yeah. There's a sort of fairy ex machina. 
um, <laughs> that will just appear and sort of grant wishes and, and fix things. Yeah, yeah. And and in this case it, it writes the it writes the civil wrongs going mm-hmm. on where uh the the good shepherdess um gets a gets a happy ending and the yeah. evil princess uh, what does she even do? The she evil just... princess does get uh falls down a well. Yeah. She, that's right, she gets pushed down a pushed well down by a well. some demons. Yeah, and de- demons that got spit out by a giant pirate head. Um, <laughs> I and- saw that. I saw that that prop, right? This giant pirate head prop, <laughs> and it was only on screen for a second or two. And I was like, "No way! Are they, did they build that entire thing just for two seconds of screen time? It's got to come back, right?" And thankfully, it did. Yeah. I was, I was, I got a little more of the of the um. giant grotesque head. <laughs> but then, after I left, her, after the the evil princess falls down the well, the sort of fairy godmother shows this to the the good shepherdess. Who is naturally a little, a little freaked out by it? Yeah, um, and the the fairy just kind of mimes like, "Eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fine." Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that <sighs> one I think was certainly I think the standout of the Star Films output from 1908. Ooh, and we're on to the stinkers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, um, a bunch also this this year were either only released in the U.S. or only released in France, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Like, there there were quite a few that didn't get any French release, which is a first for Méliès. Um, even though a lot of these are not technically Méliès films. Or are arguably, Mel- like, Méliès films, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I guess, I, I wonder what's going on there i mean it does seem like something funky is happening with the company yeah um Um, i haven't really gotten too deep into the the history of sort of his um his downfall i guess um but yeah I, i it might just be a sort of like they're making different films for different markets kind of they're like oh here are our american films they like their movies about difficult diva actors and over and our french films can be about evil pirate heads that spit out demons sticking to what they they know well um Um, yeah i mean this is uh going ahead a little bit but um uh you know they that i know that star films does try and diversify a little bit and for a while i think in 1910 they end up hiring wallace mccutcheon to make movies in the U.S. Uh, and I don't think that lasted very long, though. Mm. Um, this actually, this year, is the year where Wallace McCutcheon starts getting um, starts getting bounced around a lot. Uh, he start he started, I think he, you know, ended he ended uh, uh, 1907 leaving. Uh, uh, the Edison Company and going back to Biograph, and in 1908 uh, he gets extremely sick, and uh, the company ends. Or, or he he's kind of the the becomes the main guy, the main kind of film meister at, at Biograph. And when he gets really sick, they pass it. On, they pass that role on to Wallace McCutcheon Jr., who is apparently so terrible 
that they pass it right back again onto D.W. Griffith. Oh, uh, boy. We'll get to the Americans soon, yeah. but um, that is that all happens this year in 1908, and Wallace McCutcheon, a couple years later, ends up joining up with Melies, or Gaston Melies, at mm. least. Um, yeah, I mean, are there any others that you feel like are particularly worth talking about? Um, uh, hmm. There's well, what could be possibly be the first wrestling movie. Um, side okay. sideshow wrestlers. I don't know if that's true. If that's the this is the first movie about like stage wrestling. I guess fiction because there are. I mean, one of the first movies ever recorded was of some uh, wrestlers or boxers or whatever in uh, in New Jersey. <laughs> right, but that was like a live thing, wasn't yes, it? Yes, that wasn't this is like, like a, a fiction yeah, narrative. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that would be, yeah, Sideshow Wrestlers, it's about a uh, kind of well-to-do family whose janitor convinces <laughs> them to uh, to try and fight some wrestlers that are coming into town, and they're kind of the whole, like, we can beat anyone, you know, try us sort of thing, <laughs> and uh, they watch a few acts. Um, this one was directed by Meliers, but it's not... It's one of his his lazier outputs. It is, uh, yeah. There, there are three wrestlers, and they they get some challengers. There, uh, one of them falls on top of the one kind of effect in this movie is that one of the wrestlers just kind of falls on top of this guy and then poofs him into clothes, <laughs> smushes him flat. Not just smushes him flat, but like completely makes him disappear like he's not yeah. just squashed he's gone he's just clothes <laughs> um uh yeah and then the guy the guy uh this amateur who his janitor was like you're a tough guy you know yeah he uh he ends up beating the tall the tall one of the of the wrestlers yeah. just like uh in spider-man like spider-man one in the cage yeah when he fights bonesaw oh. mcgraw Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, you know, I was trying to call that like that's like a deep cut, but really, it's just that I haven't seen Spider-Man one mm. in many years because <laughs> that's definitely not a deep cut. <laughs> Is I wonder? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how widely recognized Bone Saw McGraw is as a fictional the wrestler. Name, the name definitely is is a deep cut. Mm. You get you get the props for that. Yeah, I guess. Um, and I think a lot of people would forget that there's like a cage match at the beginning of Spider-Man one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, apparently the, this movie Shide, Sideshow Wrestlers was uh, originally advertised as a uh, buffoonerie extravagante <laughs> or extravagant buffoonery which is just you know chef- or like a bu- buffoonery extravaganza <laughs> yeah just chef's kiss I saw that and I was like alright this 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 one I gotta see um <laughs> There was oh, there's the weird thing with the new Lord of the Village. Yeah, um, the new King of Town. So uh, that's another one that's probably directed by Manuel. Um, the mysterious Manuel. The mis- uh, I don't know. Just and- the fact that that's the only name. Yeah, and, right. And every reference to him is like maybe he was Melies' his assistant. Maybe he was an actor. 
He's just this like mysterious guy that comes in and starts making movies. Maybe and it's, it's, it's Manuel's always, fault. It's always like in quotes like Manuel, films. like it's an alias. <laughs> to protect his identity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there is this one called New... Well, the, there's this one that is called... These all the movies that Melies didn't like. And he was like, no, 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 this guy Manuel made these. That's an interesting theory. I like that. <laughs> Um, Part of my new uh, George Melies conspiracy theory. We're here on the conspiracy <laughs> podcast. I think I think that Manuel was a humanzy super soldier. <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Do we have? We're. Do we have it? Do. Do we have anything to say about these? No. Do you want to talk about them? <laughs> All right. Manuel made some kind of iffy movies. There is this one that uh, was mislabeled for a long time until pretty recently. And uh, 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 Melies's great-great-grandson had to kind of come in and tell this uh, film historian, like, actually, I think the one that you're calling the new lord of the village is actually called Misfortunes of a Cobbler, and the one that you were calling Unknown Fragment is actually New Lord of the Village. Uh, but both of these are Manuel joints, hmm. and they're kind of boring. I mean, with a title <laughs> like Unknown Fragment, you'd think that it'd be better. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um. I, well, mis- um, is there anything worth saying? No. Nah. Whatever. Kind of a stinkier for the Melies movies. Stinkier? Yeah. What? Come on, Which Melies. Is crazy, because he's been our, our top guy, like, this whole time, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Speaking of stinky Melies, um, there is uh, this movie called uh, the, Vo- the Voyage to the Moon. Not a trip to the moon. A voyage to the moon. Oh, is it Voyage or Excursion? Oh, wait. Sorry, sorry. There's this movie called Excursion to the Moon. Indeed. Excursion dans la lune, uh, which sounds like Voyage dans la lune, uh, but this is a straight-up knockoff by Segundo de Chamon. Is it a knockoff or is it a remake? Because I am I'm genuinely kind of curious on what, I guess, what the distinction is and kind of... This is certainly not or authorized. I mean... I, probably not... I mean, I guess everyone was ripping each other off at all moments. Yeah. Back in this time, uh, I will say it's like, um, it's not as good as Trip to the. No, Moon. it's not. Um, it's it's rushed. It's 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 got a lot of the same beats actually, um, it, and a lot of the same very similar shots. This is Chamon. I saw someone theorizing that this might have been Chamon being kind of like forced to do this because they want like they wanted their or uh Pathé wanted their answer to trip to the moon hmm. but they rushed him to do it and they didn't give him much money uh as indicated by um the this one being much lower budget and worse looking than trip to the moon but also lower budget and worse looking than most of other of <laughs> Chamon's movies from yeah, this year yeah it's true um his, his heart just wasn't in it also yeah um, you have any, what do you got to say about this one? I mean, um, it is like at times shot for shot, 
yeah. re- remake of Trip to the Moon. Um, but overall, it 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 like it feels kind of inert and less whim- yeah. less whimsical. Yeah, which is it's wild. Like where you know this this thing that I keep grasping at this this um, ineffable thing of what makes ineffable. some movies good and what makes some movies not good mm. and. Trip to the Moon has it. It has it, baby. Yeah. Um, but uh, Excursion to the Moon does not. Uh, it just kind of falls flat. Um, there are a couple of new effects uh, that weren't there, that weren't available at the time that Trip to the Moon came out. Like, when the Space Wizards draw on the blackboard, there's like mm-hmm. a little animated Earth that, that uh, turns instead of just being drawing on the blackboard um, using a double exposure. Uh, and the moon's kind of funkier. Um. A little bit. I mean, yeah, the, instead of hitting the moon in the eye, it now goes into the moon's mouth, and he kind of eats the, the, the like, space bullet. Yeah. Um, Legally distinct. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of, like, small differences that mostly they do kind of, like, take some of the whimsy out, I think. Yeah. Like, like, like the aliens just look like humans. Yeah, they're, they're not, like, the, yeah, the moon men... In the Melies movie, you have like crazy masks and like do like weird dances and jumps and explode when you hit them with an umbrella. These are just kind of guys in like moon star pajamas. <laughs> yeah, they do the same backflips, but they don't. Yeah. They don't seem like strange aliens. Um, uh, and this also has a ballet sequence in it, which I guess is more of a path a thing yeah um, there's but it just seems like it's filling time yeah there's, there's a lot more dancing but less fighting um they they kind of switch the ending a bit so instead of kind of in, in, inadvertently capturing a moon man and keeping it as a captive they meet like a moon princess and she just kind of leaves with them fairly casually to the chagrin of her moon dad yeah um the uh website moviesilently.com points out, I gotta give them credit because I didn't come up with this idea, that it kind of removes all of the um, the, like, uh, the, I don't know what the, the right word is, the, the, um, je ne sais quoi. I guess. I mean, it sort of, it feels almost like a, a watered-down version of Melies. It sort of, it removes the kind of, the fighting it removes yeah. the um, some of the sort of like colonialist satire, if it is satire. Um, it l- removes the wonder. Yeah, which I don't know how it did. I mean, I think I think kind of a good example also of just like why it's not as good and why it feels less whimsy- whims- whimsical is the the sort of like soldiers who load the space bullet into the cannon in the Melies one are like. Women in like sailor outfits, yeah. <laughs> and then the Shimon is—they're just some like nutcracker-looking dudes. Um, yeah, it's weird because like you know, I think De Shimon in a lot of ways is taking up the Melier's mantle. Um, very much, but, I think. Yeah, uh, and he's doing—he did some really great stuff this year. I think outside um, of this one, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh but for some reason, yeah, like 
when he's I think he he started out making a lot of remakes of other people's work and I think he just does not have his heart in it when he's not doing his own thing with and when he is doing his own thing it's really magical and fantastic <laughs> yeah it uh it for sure for sure is um there is a couple like smaller ones that he did that I guess we can kind of run through real quick like the frog Mm-hmm. Which is just this wild, trippy frog dance movie. Yeah, it's a special effects showcase. Yeah, it it looks like a flex, honestly. Because it does. Um, <laughs> weird, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like this guy in a frog costume. Um, but I, um, I wrote down: this is what happens when you lick a frog. You know. <laughs> It may it may very well be, um, but yeah, there's a guy in a frog costume, and there's this kind of like pedestal platform fountain thing yeah, in a, the middle of the screen. Um, the frog kind of dances around the well and hops around the well in circles, and the flex is that the frog is hopping around in circles because there's all of this stuff that's transforming. And 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 happening in the middle of the well, like there's a giant face and there's particles falling on its head and and uh, and splashing onto the ground, and then it transforms and uh, uh, it's a you know a, a big old wedding cake full of human beings. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good way of describing it. But, I think that is actually uh, the perfect way to describe it. A wedding cake full of human beings. And it's just kind of rotating and kind of people in fun costumes. And then there's uh, a big frog man uh, inside of the thing. All of these different transforming effects, one after the other, in the center of this uh, 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 fountain. And then the the... It's not always very smooth, but I feel like the frog is doing a sort of... The way that a magician who's making something float would kind of wave their hands around it to show that there are no strings. Mm, yeah. The frog is going around behind and in front of these effects to try and like sell their them in space. I hadn't thought uh, of that. Which, uh, yeah, that's the flex to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a really good point. Um, it is very much like... A magician, like, waving a hand. Only in this case, mm-hmm. it's a frog. <laughs> uh, the Electric Hotel uh, is another kind of, like, kind of a trick film. Kind of just a um, an effects showcase, almost. Yeah, yeah. This is his second... Um, he, he did another one, which we'll talk about in a second. But he, this is his second... Uh, movie that used a lot of stop motion this mm-hmm. year, and the stop motion is so good in this. It's yeah, it is very cool. Um, uh, it's a lot of people luggage getting unpacked on its own. Yeah, a lot of people think of Phantasmagory as the first animated film, and Emil Cole or um, J. Stuart Blackton as the fathers of animation in a way. Uh, but I think just in general, but in, in the case of animation in particular, Chamon does not get enough credit. Um, because he's pioneering a lot of stop-motion technique I, uh, with Bob's theater yeah. um, through this. I think he he's definitely... I think he's pioneering a kind of different 
uh, subset of animation, though, whereas, like, you can look at Emil Cole as sort of the the forebearer to, like, Disney or... Yeah, the cartoons. Uh, or a Max Fleischer or something, you know, um, whereas uh, Segundo de Chamon is more like a proto, like, Willis O'Brien or Ray Harryhausen. Um, I don't know who Willis O'Brien is. But, he did uh, King Kong. Um, oh, okay. And, yeah, in, the, in that sense that, like, he's doing lots of stop motion, but he's also integrating it into the film as it's sort of, like, it's meant to sort of take place within the same physical space, yeah, which is kind of that's interesting. that's true. It's, it's, not, it's, it's being used for effect mm-hmm. rather than uh, an animated showcase of itself. And even Bob's Theater had this framing device of it being little toys that were coming mm-hmm. to life uh or bob's electric theater or whatever it was called right um this is also electric hotel is the first use of pixelation um which is not pixelation it is pixelation which is the term describing stop motion animation where you use human bodies at, like as uh as part mm. of your animation um, that is an important this distinction. Has, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not, you know, making yeah. something look like squares. Um, uh, so this is the kind of thing that uh, Jan Svankmeyer uses used a lot in the 90s and when he was making his films. Um, Pez, uh, who does did some Academy Award-winning short films, mm-hmm. uh, like Western Spaghetti and Fresh Guacamole. Uh, his style incorporates... Uh, incorporates pixelation a lot, um, uh, with kind of use it, having people freeze in place and yeah. and and moving it along with them. Uh, and in in this movie, it is it's people's in the the fancy electric hotel. It's people's hair and and beards getting <laughs> combed and trimmed, and they kind of stand in place with weird looks on their faces. Uh, so as not to move, um, while while they do probably hours worth of animation yeah. on them, <laughs> it does it does look pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's you can tell that it's being stop motion animated, but it, it sells the effect yeah. certainly. Um, not the only good stop motion movie that he made this year, though. Yes, uh, you're talking about Les Maisons Les Maisons and Sorcelets. No, am I? Les Maisons and Sorcelets. The Haunted the haunted Mansion. Oh, The Haunted Mansion. Or whatever. We skipped over that. the uh, J. Stuart Blackton movie that Haunted Mansion is ripping off right. uh, uh, last week so that we could talk about them both together. Well, then, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's talk about them now. Yeah. Um, there was one last year that was... was It, it, was, it wasn't called The it's Haunted Mansion. It was called The Haunted, slightly different haunted Hotel, I think. Yes, yes, yes. And it's almost, they're almost the same movie. It's its very, I thought they'd come out the same year, but you pointed out that they actually did come out, there was a, a bigger gap between them. Yeah. Um. So it's not its not quite the sort of Armageddon, Deep Impact situation. Right. It's like the, it's like the Transformers, Transmorphers situation. <laughs> I don't know if that. If, if, uh, if Transmorphers were like a lot better than Transformers, I think. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, last, last year, James Stewart Blackton, who is 
a big animation guy, uh, made The Haunted Hotel, which uh, I think for the Edison Company, which is... Oh, for Vitagraph. Yeah. Okay. Um, which uh, is a one of the classic kind of spooky ha- uh, haunted hotel or... or or weird things happen in a hotel movies. <laughs> uh, but it had like all of this funky animation happening. Uh, the house kind of morphed until it had eyes and, and a mouth that smiled when that you, is on the exterior shot yeah. of the, of the house. Um, and the real showcase of it, the people arrive and some funky things happen, but the real showcase of it is this ghostly stop motion animated, uh, table setting doing itself. Mm-hmm. With uh, the knife cutting the bread and the the um, the pitcher pouring the tea by itself, um, and it looks it looks quite good. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, they they do both use a lot of the same kind of gags, like the the table setting. Um, yeah, tea. I mean, uh, I I think overall I like uh, I do like haunted house more. I think you said the same, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a good comparison with um, Excursion to the Moon, where Excursion takes the original movie, cuts it down, and makes it less interesting, uh, whereas Haunted. Uh, the house haunted mansion is it haunted house I think it's the haunted house, house i mean it's maison uh, takes so it's, ha- take your pick i, I yeah. think house is a better translation uh the haunted house by chamon uh expands on the haunted hotel mm-hmm. and uh makes the eff- makes the effects even better and uh makes it feel a little less rushed and more lived in like the complete opposite yeah. of how yeah. he treated trip to the moon um it adds this other, it ha- so it has the same dinner setting scene, but it, it's a little more showy with its effects, um, and it adds this new stunt at the end, uh, where it begins with the room like rocking back and forth uh, uh, as part of the kind of haunts that are happening in this in this house, um, and. <laughs> they're tilting the camera and then pulling the bed across the room with a wire in the opposite direction, and then everybody's <laughs> just kind of miming, falling down down the thing. So it, classic. It makes it look like everything is everything is tilting, uh, but they do a really cool transition where you know the the room's tilting back and forth, and then all of a sudden the room starts spinning completely, like really fast, and in that spin. They hide a transition from a full-size room that they're shooting in with people in it uh, to a model room uh, that's that's uh, doll dollhouse size, and then a big a big freaky-looking giant appears behind the wall and then reaches into the room and grabs the bed, and it it blew. Me. I had to rewatch it like a couple times because <laughs> I was like, how how did he? How, how did he do that? And he, he hit it really well. Uh, and he made... Well, the, the real trick of it was that he made the tiny room look very mm-hmm. much like the big room. Yeah. Um, 
And so he hit it in that spinning effect, and then he was able to have this big giant reach in for the big closer of the movie and uh, grab the bed and, yeah. and crush it or whatever. <laughs> we we love movies with where big giants show up and, and grab things. King Kong. <laughs> I was thinking of Legend of the Sword, but um, wasn't that... Yes. Le- that was the name of it, right? Uh, the Magic Sword. The Magic Sword. Yeah. I think Legend of the Sword is... Uh, is that the Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll, we'll get um, to it. Um, we'll get to it. The Golden Spider is another stop motion uh, Dishamon film. Yeah. Uh, this one's genuinely kind of kind of spooky, kind of creepy. I mean, yeah. ha- Haunted, uh, Haunted House is to a degree also, but this was m- this creates a really uh, good kind of palpable spooky atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that the, I mean, this is more of him just experimenting with stop motion as like a, a showcase for mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and, and doing some really fun stuff with it. Definitely. But now with, including some spooky knife stuff. spiders <laughs> that make gold. Okay, yeah. I guess I didn't really think about it being a knife spider, but it is a knife spider. It is spider. a knife spider. No. Um, uh, it also is the sort of thing where, like, stop motion works very well for, like, herky-jerky bug creatures. Yeah. Um, In the same way that they, you know, they chose toys for Toy Story to yeah. hide the flaws in early computer animation. Um, so all these sort of, like, bugs and, and creepy crawlies moving around look pretty... Like you can tell it's stop motion, but it's like, all right, that's some some creepy crawlies moving around. I buy it. Yeah, the main the main setup of this movie is uh, there's this kind of grifter guy, and he sees a lot of grifters some... this year in movies. Uh, yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a big character archetype, big theme in, yeah. in 1908. Uh, he sees some some. I, I just called them monks, but then the the uh, title card later calls them gnomes. So really? I think they're gnomes or gnome monks. Uh, but they're these these they're not guys short. in robes. They're kind of short. <laughs> um, so there are these gnome monks that pass by. He's just chopping wood or whatever, and it, it by his house, and they drop some golden coins, and he's like, "Oh my god! Like what? What?" what's going on here and so he he's he thinks these guys are loaded and uh he wants to he wants to go steal from him so there's this sort of extended sequence of him sneaking on behind them uh and uh through through the forest and through a lot of these exterior locations and rocks and, and stuff the exterior locations are really they're good they're really good locations like they're yeah these like kind of very wet looking woods yeah, um, and the colors are really good in this movie. Like mm. they almost look real in parts of this movie. Yeah, uh, I don't know how they did it because I think it's still stencil colored. Um, but yeah, some of the, some of the early shots in this movie look just like they're slightly desaturated color photography. Um, that he traces them back to their grotto, uh, and turns out that's how it's what it's how it's referred to uh and it turns out that they're holding a golden spider 
who weaves coins out of his web, or her web, Charlotte, we'll call her. Um, and yeah, that's a, it's a stop-motion spider, and then you see the spider like kind of make these shapes in the web of golden thread, and then it kind of coalesces together into like a log or like a like a sausage of, yeah. and then a, and a then, gold a golden sausage, a golden sausage, and then uh, the spider takes a little knife out and cuts coins out of it. I mean, it's it like it's like a, a knife coming out of its mouth almost. It's like a yeah a face knife. Um, yeah, which is just such an unsettling, or something. such an unsettling <laughs> thing to put in a film. Um, but yeah, I, I I dug that one. Um, yeah, almost. Oh as yeah, much. So, Oh wait, what, well, like, the, the, the other stuff that happens in the movie, by the way, um, to to describe okay. the rest of it, um, is uh, he sees he waits till they're gone. And then he like he, it takes him a while to find the spider because there are all these little vignettes of other fun little animated things that he looks at all these different creepy crawlies, uh, almost like um, in Teddy Bears, uh, yeah, where the person's just like looking at this thing and like check out this little stop motion st- showcase for a while. Um, so there's a fly that's weaving baskets. There's a cockroach that is painting some fine art and signs it Pathé Freres. <laughs> um, there's an ant that's making like this butterfly sculpture, um, and then he finds uh, the spider. Uh, he steals it, and because he's a bad guy, um, he takes it home. It makes all of this this gold, and to sh- to show that he's a bad guy, which is another uh, another theme of this year, is he. Uh, there's a beggar that comes to his house, and he says, "Buzz off, beggar!" and then. As karmic response to that, all of his gold turns into bugs, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's ruined and and grossed out because his table's covered. You, what used to be covered in gold is now covered in bugs. Mm. Yep. Um. But yeah, uh, more shaman for yeah. you. One one thing. You, this doesn't even have to be part of the podcast. Circling back to the to the grifters thing, yeah. Um, I think I do think that is sort of like a topical thing from ni- the nineteen hundreds because I I bought a book. I don't know if I told you about this. I bought a book no. back when you could go to bookstores, and uh, I sound like I'm very old, but this was like a year ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I I found this really old. Like it may be pre nineteen hundreds book about it's like a a guide to visiting New York City. Uh huh. <laughs> and it's this old leather bound book, and it is the funniest thing I have ever read. Maybe ever. It's amazing because it's the most antiquated, crazy. There's a whole article just like grifters, how to watch out for grifters. <laughs> like they'll steal your pocket watch and throw you in the river. Um, I mean, it was before Giuliani's. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I I think I I found a, like a PDF of it also that I should send to you. Um, oh, neat! But yeah, so grifters grifters were a thing back then. In in researching this, I found, and this is this will be something that I'll be referencing certainly uh, uh, coming up. But I found. 
uh, these scans of this film trade magazine uh, that from that's went ran from 1907 to like 1925 or something or 1920. Wow. Um, and uh, they had uh, reviews of all of these movies that uh, were coming out. And they had advertisements for, like, projector parts and, like, various new, oh. like, doohickeys for the theater. Um, so that was really cool to skim that, through. That's um, amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking at more of that later. It's a weekly thing, so they had, like, hundreds of pages oh of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting back on topic. Yeah. Another Segundo de Chamon film that I absolutely loved... Is Legend of a Ghost. It was so good. I mean, I I think I'm going to call it right now. This is my favorite movie from this year. I was just going to do the same thing. Yeah. It's not even a comparison. This is, this is not even that crazy of a comparison. This is the Mad Max Fury Road of 1908. I thought the same thing. (laughs) 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 Like, yeah, this movie, I mean, the reason we're making the Mad Max Fury Road connection here is because this movie has these wild, uh, uh, practically built cars that have all of this crazy stuff they're on like, top They're of like them. thrones on wheels, but they're real yeah. cars. They're driving around full of people. It's, it's, it's nuts. Um, uh, it's, I don't even know where to start on the plot of this one. It's like well, here's the beginning of the plot, and I wrote down this whole thing. Okay, so there's there's a lady that walks into a cemetery, cemetery and then she gets a message from a yellow skull ghost, and the ghost says, "Go and find the devil, challenge him, and vanquish him. He will give you the inextinguishable the inextinguishable flame with which you shall go to the bottom of the sea. Seek for the black pearl and bring it back." Um. This is the greatest <laughs> metal song never written. <laughs> yeah, this movie's so cool. This movie is, like, is I, very metal. Yes. Yeah, because it's all about, like, going down to hell, fighting the devil <laughs> to give you a fire to let you breathe underwater. It, ridiculous. Yeah. So good. To get the Black Pearl. Ah. Uh. Yeah, there's there's a title card called Satan Assembles His Army. Oh my god, like, I freaked out when I saw that title. I was like, yes! <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie, like, the, the colors are really cool, the effects are really the, cool, the practical... The lighting like, in this the, movie is so crazy for this yeah. time period. Like, yeah. every movie, pretty much every movie we've seen so far is lit pretty flatly, of just sort of like... Even if it's shot inside, it's usually lit with sunlight of sort of like an open roof or skylights or um, giant lights. I, I don't know if they're really using like traditional film lighting. Like we think of it like Fresnel lights or anything. I think it's it's mm-hmm. mostly like reflected sunlight or windows. Um, but this movie has a whole, like the whole like second act of it takes place in caves in hell, basically. And it's yeah, shot in like real on location. Yeah, it's shot caves. in real caves, not like set caves. And so it's super dark, and stuff's lit by like flares and sparklers and things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the only like low key lighting. Some of the only low key lighting we've seen 
of <laughs> any movie up to this point. Loki being like to explain the term, I guess is okay. high key is like there's lots of light, you can see everything. Low key is things are dark and there isn't as much light. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, all those sparklers and stuff are colored super garishly. Yeah, um, in in these really cool, just like, uh, uh, yeah, just really Im- beautiful ways. I, I, um, the the whole hell scene is tinted. Uh, tinted red. Um, so, so they go into the cave. Like it's like a normally lit cave, normally colored a cave exterior outside. They descend into the cave, and everything turns red and hellish. Uh, and then Satan assembles his army. There's some kind of like there's like there's like two cars. There's like a Satan mobile, and there's like their car, yeah. and they're fighting on the cars yeah. and everything. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's so many extras in this movie. There's a lot of people on screen at yeah. once. Um, yeah, this is like the frame is so rich too. You see a lot of stuff, or it's like it's like deep. Like you see all this stuff going on, and then you see things like coming from the back toward the camera, yeah. like the cars and everything. Um, I'm I'm very frustrated with the fact that I could not find a good quality video of this anywhere on the internet. It's hard to find um, And looking at it, I don't even know if there's one on any sort of, like, DVD or Blu-ray collection, either. Like, um, this is a, a this, frustratingly difficult film to find a good quality version of anywhere. Shimon really needs a um, release like Melier's got yeah. of the, the box set. Absolutely. Um, if, if only I, for this film. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot I of his stuff. I found amazing, a decent but... quality one. Let me see if I, I found can the decent quality one. I think also, yeah. but it was like it was that sort of thing. I like. I wish it was better. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. These these movies could look gorgeous because I've we've seen a few that music one from last year. Yeah, uh, we've seen a few like really really well restored mm-hmm. Shimon movies, and they look fantastic. Yeah, they look. Um, one of the first ones that we watched the um, the Spring Fairy, uh, which yeah. is. There's questionable a up to, like who directed that. that movie, but I'm pretty positive it was Dishamon because look at it. Yeah. Um, at least he did the um, cinematography on mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, I have... Uh, the The other thing that the cars reminded me of was Dragula. Um, <laughs> well, I guess that's the, theme, the, the intro song this week. <laughs> yeah, it should be. Um, yeah, it's just like... There, there was so much imagination going to this movie, and it's so. I love how you can tell that there are they are cars that they've just sort of draped stuff over and sort of fancied up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it just it <laughs> gives it this such such a fun feeling too. It's just like we got a we got this car. We're just gonna like stick horns on it. We're gonna drive it to a cave. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's like, so metal. You, yeah. <laughs> you can you can feel the people making this movie are just like, oh yes, this is gonna be so cool, and it is. <laughs> Um, uh, well, after the Satan scene, they, they do go underwater, uh, cause the fire, the, the fire that Satan gives them lets them breathe underwater. And, uh, it has the same kind of peeling back effect that Melies mm-hmm. does of like seaweed and stuff to kind of zoom through the sea. Uh, and, uh, the underwater scenes are also really like lavish. They feel like just you know scenes from Little Mermaid or yeah. whatever they're, in their in their density. They're not quite Kingdom of the Fairies good, but they're 
Yeah, they're close. Yeah. And so they party with uh, they, they party with the underwater creatures for a little while. And I love how that um, like that isn't we're not making that up. If you don't believe us, they they just have a scene <laughs> where they just go underwater and party with the yeah the mer people. Yeah, this this <laughs> this movie is get a quest from a demon, a ghost. Con, uh, a, get a quest from a ghost. Uh, confront and defeat, vanquish <laughs> Satan. Uh, party with mer people, uh, and then there is a uh, Satan gets his revenge after they yeah. get out of the um, out, out of the thing. Uh, so they they get out of the water. Satan Satan gets its revenge. He runs up to the car to their car, blows it up, <laughs> and then kills all of her compatriots. All of them. Uh, yeah, she's doing this to rescue the soul of a ghost. And <laughs> like, like twelve she, people die. Yeah. <laughs> and so she gets up from the pile of bodies. She kind of like picks it's, up their arms. It's and kind drops of them arguable again, if like. they are people or if they are sort of like spirits, though that. Are, are helping her. Yeah, that might be true. Um, uh, but anyway, she kind of just like takes the corpses and like pick, kind of picks up a leg and drops it again. <laughs> just goes like, "Yep, that's dead." <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then heads back to the cem- like Satan got his revenge. He's he's settled. Uh, so she heads back to the cemetery. He's, and he's gotten the- out of the system. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she go- she gives the pearl back to the skeletal spirit, who then turns into a handsome prince. But it, um, it ends on kind of a down note after that. Like, yeah, like at the end of her quest, she it seems like she just dies. Yeah, <laughs> of exhaustion or whatever. Um, and yeah, it 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 doesn't it it doesn't end on like a triumphant note. It ends on a sort of like we've done all this thing and we've like returned this ghost to life, but it. But was it worth it? Um, <laughs> but there is the, there is like a kind of um, group photo scene at the end with the handsome prince and her uh, and like all the spirits. And so maybe she's in heaven with them all or maybe she didn't die and she's mm. with the prince. Hard to say. Uh, it kind of seems like she's dead and partying with all the spirits in heaven. <laughs> but, you know. I mean, if you if you go and vanquish Satan, then you deserve to go to heaven. Yeah. Um, ah, what a film. Yeah. After after all of the insanely boring, uncharacteristic Melies films I watched for this episode, I this this was such a shot in the arm. This was like this is just what I need. Yeah. Um. <sighs> well, shall we move on to the Americans? I suppose we have to talk about the Americans. Um, I mean, there's only really two that are, I think, that I watched that are really worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the first being from, uh, or co- a co-production for, of Edwin S. Porter and J. Searle Dolly. Yeah. Um, with J. Searle Dolly's stuff, I think has all been collaborations with Edwin S. Porter thus far. Yeah, I mean, I th- I've seen some places saying that Porter just produced and Dolly directed, mm. uh, and I've seen some that say co-directed. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, we haven't seen solo much solo Dolly, and I haven't really gotten a grip on Dolly's yeah. style yet. I know at least one um, thing that he is going to direct uh, two episodes from now. 
that I'm looking forward to. Mm. But mm-hmm. so I hope he improves. Uh, but uh, do we well, see the title? Uh, well, which did you want to do? Cupid's pranks or rescued from an eagle's nest? Uh, rescued from an eagle's nest. Um, yeah, I mean, C- Cupid's pranks has like one or two like cool effect shots in it, and that's about it. Yeah, it has a yes. So, rescued from an eagle's nest is the is D W Griffith's first starring role. I mean, it's really uh, his only like starring role. I think, right? Isn't it? Did he did he do I much think- acting after this? I don't know. I think subsequently he did a little more acting at the Edison Company, and then he d- he started at Biograph as an actor until he um, became a director when McCutcheon Jr. Mm. Uh, stepped down. Um, but yeah, Cupid Cupid's uh, Pranks was a movie that had um, uh, had D W Griffith in it just as an extra. Mm. Um, uh, and Cupid's Pranks and Rescu- Rescued for an Eagle's Nest. I mean, apparently D.W. Griffith was an actor for a while before he was a director. Yeah. Or at least he was acting in a number of movies before he was a director. Uh, but uh, that, Which was all in 1908. <laughs> but these are the only two that survive that have him in it. Uh, but Rescued for an Eagle's Nest, um, he is the main character. And he gets to do a pretty fun stunt as this well. True. yeah. Uh, it did look like, this does look like it was a fun movie to make, which I'll, yeah. I'll give it that. Um, this one actually was, f- for an NNS Porter movie, pretty fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. Mostly for the eagle. The eagle is great. <laughs> uh, so, so what happens in this movie is, uh, the, the dad is, it's some, some people in a rustic location. The dad is out chopping trees and they get a, a real tree falling down on film, which uh, seemed like maybe a special thing or something like that. They spend some time on watching him cut it down, but the dad is distracted and left the baby. Well, the just... dad goes off to work to cut down trees, right? As a right, as a right. lumberjack, the mom is at home and just leaves a baby out in the yard. Yeah, but but here's the thing: when you leave a baby out in the yard. You don't expect an eagle to pick them <laughs> up and bring it to its nest. You don't. To be fair to the mom. Um, uh, but that is what happened. Maybe in 1908. We don't know. That might have been a big thing. Yeah. That might have been a, uh, you, should, you should check in your handbook. I should. <laughs> whether or not you got to, you know, don't leave don't leave your babies out in the yard or an eagle will come get them. Um, um, yeah, so this articulated fake eagle. It's like a... It's like uh, a swoops down. It's like a, um, what's, what's the word I'm thinking of? A, uh, a stuffed, um, like taxidermy? taxidermied eagle is what I think it is. Yeah. But it moves a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like it's it got, flaps. It's got flappy wings. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, it kind of swoops down on wires and picks up a baby. And then there's this great, uh, I think somewhat famous shot like tracking shot of the the background moving uh behind the the eagle yeah. carrying the baby the, through the air. Uh yeah, the baby just hanging down from this taxidermied eagle. Yeah, which is is pretty great. It's it's very silly, but it's also it's just fun. Um Yeah. And I think uh, I think this movie at least kind of attempts to 
to have a sort of like heightened reality to it. Um, That's true. That that kind of works. It doesn't always work. Um, I think it doesn't really fully commit to it the way that like Amelia's movie might. Um, Definitely not that heightened. I mean, it feels like um, maybe the closest analog would be like Edwin S. Porter's Jack and the Beanstalk, something like mm, that. Yeah. Um, uh, an American kind of low key attempt yeah. at a fairy tale aesthetic. Um, but I don't know. This is also a little more macho than like a fairy tale movie would be because what happens when the eagle kidnaps the baby is that they go hunting after the eagle. They go they go searching for the baby. Um, they find where the eagle's nest is and then rappel down the cliff. Uh, this is D.W. Griffith's job of uh, of. Uh, <laughs> going down a cliff on a rope, a, a real, a real cliff, and then arriving on a set, right? Uh, of, that of is like a princess bride cliff. That is like he he <laughs> repels down like this cliff in the woods where there's like there's trees around. It's a real cliff, and it's like okay, this is a, a real okay. He's going on a cliff. I get it. And then he sort of drops down into this like create this like expansive, massive cliffside. Yeah set that is like all right this is clearly a different it doesn't it doesn't remotely look the same um and that's what i mean like i kind of wish that they had stayed in that mode almost more of the time sure um because there's there's sort of a jarring dissonance there between the the location stuff and the onset stuff i think that the americans just don't want to spend the money that it would take to make those elaborate onset, yeah, uh, to have a, a a really elaborate like uh, pathé or or Melies style onset look, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but he yeah he arrives and he goes to rescue the baby, but then eagle fight, eagle fight, gotta um, have an eagle fight. <laughs> the eagle swoops down and attacks him and tries to rescue its its stolen baby. Um, I don't know if it's trying to eat the baby or make it one of its own, train it to be an eagle. Um, I, I have assumed to eat it, but you might be right. <laughs> but he says, that's my son. Yeah. <laughs> you took my son. Um, Get away from my and, son. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he beats the eagle Give with me a back stick my son. until it's... <laughs> he points at it menacingly and then beats the eagle with a stick and and, and gives it an old pile driver and then um uh toss he just like takes the corpse and then just tosses it off the cliff as you do uh and then he triumphantly returns with the baby yeah. in hand um it's it's a fun movie it's got some, i do like the effects of it i think my really only criticisms of it is that sort of like dissonance between the like heightened and realistic scenes yeah um it's maybe paced a little slow as porter tends to be like yeah. particularly when could be worse though there's two shots of of dw go- going down the the cliff and we see him fully mm-hmm. like rappel off the edge in one shot and then we go to the reverse angle sort of further away looking kind of up the cliff and he's yeah. he's at the top again, repelling off the edge. Like there's just the, there's repeated action that I think is unnecessary. Hmm. Um, that and the film does sort of the sort of like 
greater, I guess, like, story context of it, I think it does have a little bit of this sort of, uh, like, we are men and we have conquered the sinister forces of nature because of, uh, through our masculine <laughs> prowess, which is just, a, it, it isn't so overpowering that it is like, ugh, get out of here. But it, it is just a little, it feels just a little bit icky. I suppose so. And I mean, the other, the other bad thing about some of that might be me projecting brought... also because I already don't like DW. Because you're a big Eagle fan. Yeah. <laughs> big Eagle fan. I just, I already <laughs> don't like DW Griffith because of what I know about him. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the other big downside of this movie is that it, uh, it brought, it brought DW Griffith into the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and who apparently makes good movies, but also is, uh, horrific Confederate traitor. Yep. Um, who we're familiar with lately. Yeah. Fancy that. How topical. <laughs> um, well, speaking of Griffith. Speaking of Griffith, he made his directorial debut. Um, yep. Over at Biograph. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Some things say this is co-directed by Billy Bitzer. I think it's kind of more likely that Billy Bitzer shot it. and Because mm-hmm. Billy Bitzer, up to this point, is... Prim- He's directed he, he has stuff. directed stuff. But yeah. he's definitely kind of known more as like DW's cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and this is the Adventures of Dolly. Indeed, yeah, the Adventures of Dolly. And which I, is... I mean, honestly, you know, now that we're finally getting into the era of like watching DW Griffith films, yes. Yeah. And I was always kind of anticipating this, going like, is he? You know, I still haven't seen Birth of a Nation, but like, is that movie, is D.W. Griffith that good, uh, that much better that it's, it's worth heralding him as Mm -hmm. all of this, you know, I think, I think that like the, the advance people talk about D.W. Griffith as like single-handedly creating film style, basically. Mm -hmm. And what, what I guess we're finding out, um, uh, through doing this one year at a time is uh, how much of that ends up being true or not. Um, and this is the first indication of that. Yeah, which is not... Um, I don't... Based on this one film that he made, Yeah, I don't see a huge amount of difference from uh, other films from, from this time period. I mean, it's, it's well-directed for the time, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's 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 not huge, but I think that there is some small, subtle thing that you know parts of this are a chase movie, but because the stakes feel there in in a bit more of a way, uh, the 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 scenes feel like they're shot a little more, uh, I don't know, a little more like naturalistically, maybe. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, th- this movie, you know, it's not perfect, and it's also racist. Oh boy, um, I didn't, but... I didn't even realize how racist it was until afterwards because I, I don't have these like ingrained 1908 prejudices in me, so I didn't even pick up on like the cultural stereotypes that this movie is yeah. is dealing with. But uh, regrettably, maybe I feel like 
it may be some indication that like D.W. Griffith does know what he's doing, and he might be he might be as good as people say he is. Yeah, you know? I mean, I uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll have to see sort of going forward. Um, yeah, I do think this one movie gives the indication that he is at least putting a bit more thought into like where he where the camera is and sort of how that is conveying information mm-hmm. um but and it's snappy it's pretty yeah, snappy yeah um the basic framing of it is that there's this uh uh this lady who is fishing with her daughter at a lake or at a stream and this romani peddler uh, walks up to them and offers some product of some baskets, kind. Baskets, I think. Or are they baskets? Um, it looked like barrels, to, like tiny barrels to me. But yeah, what are baskets, baskets? If not tiny barrels, <laughs> um, they're like no, we don't want we don't want the thing that you're selling. And so uh, uh, he the, the guy gets mad. And tries to uh, steal something from them that's sitting sitting next to them. He pulls out a knife, and the dad comes up and defeats him and and whips him, and then uh, sends him away. Um, oh, this and, movie! Uh, and this Romani guy goes back to his camp, and he's just he's just mad. He's steaming, and so he plots to kidnap the daughter. Uh, As you do, so he goes. Yeah, he goes back to their house and uh, uh, while the mom isn't looking, steals the daughter, which is another thing, stolen children yeah. of not just this year, but the last couple of years. <laughs> um, and uh, he runs off with her. They notice pretty quickly that, that he took the daughter uh, and they chase after him. Uh, but by the time they find him back at his camp, he has... Uh, put her inside of a barrel, uh, sealed her inside of a barrel, and then uh, and then, a, and a then uh, sat barrel. on top of the. No, was he? And then and then sat on top of it, and he's like, "Daughter, I don't that know, I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> um, and uh, they go, "Damn, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got we us there, daughter." Around. Yeah, uh, they walk away to continue to search for their daughter. And he goes, ha ha ha, I've got me a free kid. <laughs> and he he keeps the daughter in the barrel and loads it into the back of... They're, they're, they have covered wagons, for some reason. Uh, so loads America, it back into a covered wagon. It's the olden times. I guess so. Um, and he is, in, he is uh, nomadic, I suppose. Uh, so he, he, he puts her in the barrel in the back of the covered wagon, and they... they skip town uh and on their way out of town the the barrel falls out of the back of the covered wagon into the river and then uh and then starts floating down the river and you're and you know it i feel like that that scene where the barrel's floating down the river is kind of tense because you're like there's a it is, child yeah. in and there that, you know? that is it is very good use of of like film language and that they've established that there is a baby in the barrel they can have that yeah. barrel do anything and you're going to remember yeah. there's a baby in there. Yeah. Um, Just like you're going to remember that there's a, a man inside that mattress. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, same same thing. 
and this this is the as far as I can tell the first uh, movie where you you get the oh no it's gonna go over the falls uh, uh, kind of hmm. Maybe. <laughs> anticipatory um, moment yeah I don't know if there is a previous oh no it's gonna go over the falls yeah. moment in a because there is this this big tension moment where you know the the the, the crest of the falls is in the foreground and you're seeing the ba- the barrel kind of creep closer and closer and closer and you go oh no and it just it turns out that the falls are like yeah. six feet tall or whatever but um the barrel conveniently floats all the way back exactly to where they were fishing before <laughs> and uh some some kid uh sees the barrel and said and and calls over hey, the girl's a baby dad and says <laughs> or or he just goes like hey I know you're sad about your daughter being kidnapped, but check out this barrel. Well, as far as I know, he doesn't know that there's a kid oh, inside the barrel. He just sees the, the two X's uh, on it, and he's thirsty. Yeah. He's like, I gotta drink my sorrows away, because my kid's been kidnapped. <laughs> um, and then her, and then his daughter is inside the barrel, and it's happily, happily ever after. Indeed. Um, um, yeah, it's funny. I... Um, the... F- you know, watching this movie, I did not make the connection that the peddler was supposed to be Romani. Um, I was just like, right. oh yeah, he's a, he's a peddler. And it was yeah. only since like yeah, me reading synopses and stuff of it, I'm like, oh, okay. So this movie is racist. <laughs> Good thank going, you, thank you for clarifying, uh, internet. Lately, I've been reading the synopses before I start movies a lot of the time, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of these, they're meant to go with narration, and uh, a lot of them are not great at telling you what they're trying to tell you, and so I, I find them a lot easier to follow when I've read, like, when I've read the synopsis already. Um, like, uh, like our friend Alan talks about with uh, watching opera, he recommends that you... Uh, when you go to see an opera, you read the entire s- s- synopsis mm-hmm. beforehand uh, because it's not about the story beats exactly. It's just about like knowing the shape of the story, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I think is applicable to these old movies. So I've been reading the synopsis beforehand, yeah. usually. I should probably be doing that more than I am. <laughs> so you can find out all the racist secrets yeah, exactly. beforehand. Um I do kind of feel like if this wasn't a a like uh you know a famous director's first film, I don't if this was if you show this to me it's just like this is another reporter movie, I'd be like, This is better than most of his stuff, but like, alright. Yeah, I mean I I don't know. I would say yeah, it's 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 healthily above average. Yeah. But it's not mind blowing. No. <laughs> um so I, I uh I remain, what's the right, skeptical of, of DW. Hmm. I see promise, which I wasn't, you know. Yeah. I, I want I mean, to say that he's trash. Don't get me wrong. But, I, I would love to enjoy all of these movies that we're going to watch from him. Yeah. I, I mean. I know, I know you're a big Birth of the Nation fan. Well, I know you're a big <laughs> <sighs> uh, I did. I watched one more because he made like I don't know 
20 movies this he made so many movies in 1908 i was yeah he went from he went from his acting debut to switching permanently to directing to making a bunch yeah, of movies. stuff moves so quickly the in the olden times um i watched one other movie from his called money mad which the plot of that is just there's is that like jim kramer there's <laughs> There's Mad Money. There's another like villainous vagrant type character. Um which already I'm like, alright, yeah, baby, like we know what you you like to put in things. Um and it's it's just a series of people fighting over money until they all die. Which is very I mean, I get what he's going for. He's like, hey money, it'll, hmm. it'll mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> um It's it's fine. Um it's interesting how like these vagrant characters are being treated in various media. I think that it's never it's it's very rarely empathetic the way they're being treated, but um except that one uh, there was the the ex-convict. Uh, the ex-convict. It's not really a yeah, vagrant. That's what I, guess, I was thinking but... of. But yeah, yeah, the downtrodden yeah. of some kind. Um Except for ex-convict, I would say it's usually not empathetic. But if you look in like the Melies movies or something, the way that these beggars or or, or Deschamps, they're they're the the moral is you should be nice mm-hmm. to the downtrodden. Yeah, uh, you should be giving to beggars, um, and that is that shows that your moral value as a person, and that proves movie wise that um, that you deserve good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas there are some other movies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there are some other movies where they're just treated as simple bad guys, Mm -hmm. simple faceless bad guys, like in this one, uh, or, or like in, um, uh, the adventures of Dolly. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, oh, well. I don't think we have a lot to look forward to in terms of uh, moral integrity from D.W. Griffith films. Yeah, but we've, been, we've we've again. I want I I uh, I don't want to. Other than the one, I don't want to prejudge too much. Like, let's see what let's see what he does. <laughs> let's see what he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to, honestly, everyone was race, racist back then. Uh, it's True. just that he was particularly. He so. was just aggressively uh, so. There was a, there was another and actively movie made where the Mellie world is. a worse place. Yeah, I mean, you know, through yeah. his filmmaking, I mean, we, could, we could talk about that. Yeah, nineteen fifteen, yeah. but like, you know, a big, big, de- big blame on rescued for. You could say that rescued from an eagle's nest led to the founding of the KKK or the refounding. <laughs> I, of the I don't. KKK. I don't know if I'm. I'm not really about making that much of a tenuous connection. <laughs> um, because D.W. Griffith probably would have made movie started making movies anyway. It's not like he sees if he wanted Ed, Edwin S. Porter gave him. It's not like shot. he wandered into an Ed, Edwin S. Porter movie and then was like, "What film?" Um, I don't think that's not the impression I get. He so he was poor. It, he was around walking around the city looking for work, trying to be a writer, and uh. This I forgot to include, actually, but um, the Edison Company was looking for writers. Uh, uh, Griffith tried to sell the Edison Company a screenplay for an adaptation of Tosca, Mm. 
Um, and Porter rejected that screenplay, but said, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll put you in my movies instead. I like the way you look, kid. (laughs) I Um, like the cut of your jib, kid. Yeah. So he, he was trying, going around trying to be a writer, but I think he was just kind of trying to get any work. I think he was originally, he was a playwright before. So he did Um, kind of wander in to, uh, (laughs) to an Edmund S. Porter movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh right, yeah, so then I guess you can blame more on that movie than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've we've lived a um, we've we've gone through a relative uh, peaceful time of relatively little racism, less than I would have expected. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, hopefully our rude awakening doesn't come that soon. Yeah, oh <laughs> man, it's yeah, it's, I mean, I know it's like was nineteen fifteen. It's coming. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I'm very much looking forward to uh between now and then. Um so Well with that uh I'll see you in nineteen oh nine, Glenn. Okay. okay.